Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired by, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we're kicking off Halloween a little early, talking with Andy Hawkins and Gabe Katz of Blind Idiot God about the band's contributions to the 1993 bizarro comedy Freaked. The 1993 comedy Freaked is so much more than just a funny movie. It's bizarre, anarchic, and maybe the very definition of a cult film. The studio tried to bury it, and it was only thanks to sporadic showings on late-night cable that it developed any sort of following at all. Directed by Tom Stern and Alex Winter, and written by Stern, Winter, and Tim Burns, the film came on the heels of the trio's MTV sketch show, The Idiot Box. Winter is best known as Bill S. Preston Esquire of the Bill and Ted films, and in recent years he's become fairly well regarded as a documentary filmmaker. But Freaked is a crazy pants bit of claymation, makeup, and blaring punk rock. In addition to Blind Idiot God, the soundtrack features the butthole surfers, who should definitely clue you into the sheer madness of the film, whose plot is too bizarre for words. Suffice it to say, there are freaks, evil corporations, ecological warnings, and a talk show hosted by Brooke Shields. The film's soundtrack was never officially released, but the titular song by Henry Rollins and Blind Idiot God sees its debut when Blind Idiot God's sophomore album Undertow is re-released on October 13th, where that song is a bonus track. We spoke with guitarist Andy Hawken and former bassist Gabe Katz about the re-release of Undertow, as well as their work on Freaked. Which we are. What's, what I what I really appreciate the fact is that you're sort of um, it's 
is it getting like, cleaned up and remastered? Uh, the, the, the digital version I've got here just sounds amazing. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yes, it did. There was some uh, some remastering. It was definitely uh, messed with a little bit. Not a lot. I, it didn't. It didn't need a lot of uh, of tweaking. Um, Bill was going through a phase during that time where things were a little on the dark side. So we, I think, we only added a very very small amount of upper mid range and might have ducked some low mid-range a tiny bit, like we're talking half a dB or something. Uh, so it, I think that improved uh, some of the resolution and the clarity. I, I, we may not have done any, I think we didn't do anything on the dub except add a tiny bit of, of top end. Putting it out as like a double LP, do you, have you gotten to hear like test presses and things like that? Uh, how does that, how has it changed from the, the original pressing? Like I know, cause it was like a single LP, so. Well, the thing that's different is the, the basically there's no, there's no difference in the side lengths between this one and the original pressing. But obviously since it's been remastered, that's the thing that's, that's the main difference. Uh, also, I believe this pressing is 180 grams, which there is some debate as to whether or not it actually makes any kind of difference. <laughs> but uh, I think the heavier, Final probably makes it a bit more stable on the platter, so maybe that alone is, is enough to have, to have given it a, a bit more resolution. Uh, the, the freak thing is, of course, never been out on vinyl, uh, and neither thing, I believe, was on a 45 with such short side lengths for a 12-inch, which will always improve the, uh, the sound. Mastering at 45 usually makes yes. gives, gives the needle a little more room to sit in those grooves, yeah. Exactly. Which exactly. Is sort of like uh, a really that's important. The most, sorry to interrupt. That's the best resolution. No, that's no, quite right. Quite right. It's the it's the problem with cell phones. It's impossible to talk over each other. It's sort of like a David Mammoth play all of a sudden. <laughs> the, uh, without the swearing. Forty five. Yeah, exactly. Without the swearing. No swearing, Gabe. Keep it to a minimum. Uh, but the yeah, twelve inch forty five is the highest uh, the highest resolution you can get for vinyl, basically. As a is it, is it important for, like, sonic fidelity for a band such as yours that, like, does it make a big difference, like, when you're jumping from, not jumping, but alternating between, like, these sort of, like, heavier, more, like, metal, like, hardcore-y, punky numbers into, like, the more dub songs? Like, it, does that help in terms of the, the dynamics and, like, keep everything a little more level? Um, maybe so. We definitely uh, fussed with and listened really critically to the volume levels of the two different uh, styles to make sure that we didn't have uh, too big of a difference. There's a there's definitely a different kind of dynamic range involved in both of them. Uh, so you kind of have to manage the overall level of the side to get things to where there's a, a nice transition between them without it sounding like a drop in level or that the dub is suddenly louder and the bass is kind of pumping more and then making the the louds the rock stuff sound a little less hefty uh but we did we did uh, my mastering engineer and i did fuss over that quite a bit and i think we got a good balance as an instrumental band did it make when you were doing your the, the music for freaked does does it allow you to sort of work a little bit differently than a, a band that's used to writing i guess uh songs with like uh, like a verse chorus verse structure sure i mean uh, just dealing with henry and actually before that iggy was the person who that song was originally written for i don't know if that made it into the bio or not or no, the press release. Um, yeah that was so what happened was 
Iggy uh, was was running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and and he uh, decided he heard about the movie being made, and he knew my friend Alex, so he submitted a, a kind of a, a very cool but not totally appropriate uh, track that was like a down tempo blues number with him kind of crooning, and because Freaked was meant to be a black comedy, at a, you know, that with a pretty kind of manic energy, uh, he, he, it wasn't really appropriate, and Alex said, I'd love to have him on this. And I said, why don't I try writing something for him? And I had been introduced to, to Iggy through Bill, and at one point uh, Iggy asked me if I wanted to audition for his touring band, but that's right when we were making Undertow, and it wasn't really an appropriate moment for me to drop everything and do something like that but I, I actually had a rapport with him from that so I sent him I wrote the riff we, we jammed we came up with it we just recorded it on a cassette I sent it to him and hilariously enough he goes oh it's great man but it sounds too much like my old shit <laughs> so, uh, so I said well you know, of course I couldn't tell him that was the point obviously but uh, but I, and Henry knew all this when I approached him later, uh, and he didn't care at all. So he, you know, both of those guys are kind of far away from you know just straight verse chorus pop song mentality. And I'm more of you know I approached as a rock song, which to me means we need a, we need a riff, and if the riff is is good, everything you can hang on that. So, I think Henry really changed it from from what Iggy would have done, but I th it was it was actually really appropriate and it fit very organically. But I think what Iggy would have done probably would have been closer to something that a collaboration with James Williamson would have brought, or maybe even sounding like a, a really great track from Raw Power. But what Henry ended up doing really was creating something that was that really changed the to me the landscape of the song, but in a, in a really interesting way. And ultimately, I think it worked out perfectly. I think you've got, like, that's a really in interesting, uh, like, interpretation of it. Because, like, I had always read that, like, you know, there were budget limitations, and that's, like, why Iggy, like, like, had, like he had submitted a demo, and it did just, it, budgetary reasons, it didn't work. But, no, it can sort of, like, definitely, like, Henry Rollins fits in with, like alongside like that repeated use of sweat loaf by the butthole surfers uh, a little bit better than Iggy might have. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I know Andy's pretty good friends with Iggy, but I never met him. As far as I know, it just, he just wanted to do original music, and he was not, he, he you know, definitely was not interested in doing, you know, what we had, you know, submitted to him, so... But, I mean, at least that's the story as far as I understand it. Maybe you know differently, Andy? Um, no, I mean, I think Iggy was trying to get past his, uh, his his punky side, and he was he was doing the rock thing, and I think he was moving further into some of the, like, singer, more singer-songwriter thing that he probably, right. I think he kind of went through a phase like that. And and so we probably just caught him at the wrong time. I mean, look, he wound up doing a fucking Stooges reunion. Uh -huh. <laughs> he yeah, he still, had it, now he still had it in him. It was just a ways down the road. <laughs> this is this is when Instinct came out, and some of those songs are pretty hard, but they're not really remotely like what we were, you know, proposing to do. That's a, that is a that, that riff on Freak is, is is a total blast. How did you all come to know Alex Winter? Um, we're all from St. Louis. That is that. That was that, that's the main thing. Uh, Alex and I uh, went to kindergarten together. Oh, and uh, and spent our first uh, six grades together before he moved off to uh, to New York to pursue his acting career. I, I actually met Alex when I was five. Uh, his mother was my mother's dance teacher, and uh, 
one day she uh, requested for Alex to, to go play with Gabriel Katz because he was, I guess, bored and antsy in the dance class. So, but I, I didn't, I didn't know him as well as Andy did because we went to different schools. So did you just? Yeah, Alex is uh, my my actually, I guess my my oldest friend, and uh, he he was the best man at my wedding last year, and we've been we've been buddies for however long it is, I guess uh, forty some odd years or something. So you just remained in it in contact, like even when he moved off to to pursue acting, then. Yeah, yeah, no, we were. I used to come and visit him in New York because uh, I was, of course, restless, and and uh, St. Louis will do that to people. Uh, so, and then I moved here at the first uh, available opportunity that I got. But by that time, he had moved to L.A., but yeah, we were still friends throughout that whole time. Uh, 
And because, you know, it's the nature of instrumental music and, you know, it's not the stuff we make is not exactly accessible, but at least it, it worked in that context. It's been uh, a couple years since Before Ever After came out. Um, I, I hear that there's supposed to be a new album next year, or potentially, yes? Yes, uh, there is enough material, more than enough, and we are, we are polishing and shining and planning for the, uh, the, 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 the way in which it will be recorded. Uh, it'll probably be a digital, uh, an all-digital recording this time. It might be the first time that we've done that. We usually use tape, but uh, we shall see. We'll see. We might still uh, use uh, mix-to-half-inch tape at the at the end but uh it's uh it's just getting so the resolution on the digital stuff is getting so good that it's it is and i'm I'm getting used to the low noise floor and and all the other good aspects of it but uh yeah so we are we are planning and just trying to figure out the best uh, the best uh method by which to record it you know where and how and all that you know it's, so it should be out in 2018 it's very interesting um I, up until about March of this year, actually worked in the warehouse where your web store is ran out of. Which oh, cool. I have I have handled literally almost every single copy of Before Ever After at one point or another, <laughs> like pulling them off trucks and like It's a small them, like, world, Nick. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah. No, it was funny because when Ilka first started con- contacting me, uh, when that album when that album came out, I was like, oh, yeah, I know it's out. Like, I've, I I helped take it off the truck. Uh, <laughs> cool. But, um, physical, physical proof. Physical proof. So um, what other sort of uh, plans are in the works for either the two of you individually or Blind Idiot God, uh, like, going on through the end of the year? Cats, what's happening with you? I haven't talked to you in a while. Let's, let's get the news. <laughs> Well, Nick, you know, first of all, you should understand I, I haven't been in, in, in the band since 2012. But uh, I live in I live in St. Louis, and uh, I'm hoping to try to get some kind of music project off the ground. Um, in the last couple last three years, I've become a curator, so um, I, I book a music stage for a local festival thing that we do every year that's annual, and um, it's very artist centric. So I've been meeting tons of people, and I'm, I'm hoping, you know. Uh, you know, within within the year or so, I'll actually be able to put some people together and get some kind of project off the ground. But what people do, what people play in St. Louis is so different than what's going on in New York. It's kind of not really what I'm used to or what I necessarily like to do. But, uh, you know, the St. Louis that we left in 1985 is very different than the one that exists in 2017. Uh, the music scene is really fertile. Uh, there are tons of, of bands that are, are great musicians really solid, interesting music, and uh, many, many more places to play. So there's a lot going on. In fact, um, one thing I wanted to mention is a friend of mine, and Andy's also, who is also a music critic, is putting out a book, which is called the St. It's kind of, well, working title is The St. Louis Sound. It's probably going to be out, I'm hoping, by the end of the year, and Blind Idiot God is featured in there. But uh, it's, it's written by a guy that we've all known, you know, for about 35 years, and uh, he's been a local music critic ever since we met him, and so uh, hopefully there'll be something really interesting about how we contributed to the music scene in St. Louis and kind of making it vital. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'd be more... I like your use of the word kind of, Gabe. (laughs) Well, yeah. I I would be more than happy to collaborate with Mr. Hawkins any time that I ever have a chance, but, you know, we live in different cities, so... Uh, what's the what's the name of that writer so folks can uh, check out that book? His name is Steve Pick, and um, 
I think that probably, you know, we can put it on the Facebook Blind Idiot God page when it comes out. Wonderful. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, as far as yeah, I know, I'm sure we will let the people know. You mentioned it in, 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 you know, any of the press releases as well. So, and know, uh, that's cool. Yes. Yes, I, I've never, I've never told Gabe that even though he, even though he abandoned me to go back to St. Louis, <laughs> um, I've never, I've never ever said, said goodbye to Gabe. I can't do it. I can't bring myself to say goodbye. So, um, you're not, you're not supposed to because we're not done. <laughs> no, we're not done. Exactly. We're still alive. We still walk erect. But, uh, no, me, no, yes, me, our um, work not done yet. No, it, this is very true. Um, as for me, we've I've got a bunch of things. I've got, oh, geez, I've got more stuff that I'm trying to do than I have time to do it. But somehow or another, it will get done. Uh, there is, of course, another volume of uh, the exotic. There's an exotic record coming out uh, next month as well, and uh, and there's another volume of those sessions that will come out probably in 2018. There's the uh, new Big record, which uh, has. Of course, Tim, myself, and uh, and the new bass player, his name is Will Dahl. Um, and then there is a record that I actually am working on that is mostly done uh, with uh, Bill Laswell and a Japanese uh, jazz drummer named Hideo Yamaki. And it is a more sort of like a very uh, guitar, loud, overdriven guitar version of like a drum and bass improvised jazz thing. It's kind of hard to describe. Hideo is a really great uh, jazz session drummer from, uh, of course, from Japan, and uh, he, he just played the shit out of the drum set. He sounds like uh, Tony Williams on, on Crystal Meth or something. And uh, so I'm finishing, trying to finish my guitar parts for it, because I recorded the scratch stuff when we did the, uh, the live tracking. And so I got to finish my guitar parts, and then Bill's going to uh, do his do his tweaking and 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 mix it up and then that will hopefully come out in 2018 and then there is a another band that we had uh, been working on and then we had to stop for a minute uh, but it's a two drummer uh, bass two guitars and this one will actually have a female uh, lead singer who is an opera trained singer uh, the two drummer band as I like to call it we, I don't have the name finalized yet but that band has actually uh, Tim Wiskita playing uh, concert bass drum and two timpanis and a gong, which are the same things he uses on the Azonic record. And then we have another drummer who plays a regular drum kit minus the kick drum. So basically it's one giant drum set, and then there, then there's uh, the, the two guitars, which is going to be a baritone guitar and a regular guitar, and a kick-ass uh, female vocalist who I have found who's uh, very enthusiastic about it, and we're going to hopefully get that, uh, the, the material we have, it's about a half an album's worth recorded, so we can do get get the word out, because I think that one's going to be pretty pretty amazing. That is a lot of stuff well, Andy, to look for. Sounds like it is a lot of stuff. You guys need a vocalist uh, problem is now going to be solved forever. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. That Hopefully. We can, we can, I can show people that for all, I'm not, I'm not racist against vocals. Well, exactly. Yeah, most of the people we work with are either too famous or they're not alive anymore. <laughs> yeah, well put. Andy, Gabe, thank you so yes. much for taking time out of your Friday evening to talk to me. I really appreciate anytime, it. Anytime, anytime. And, and thank you for, for, for the good questions. And, and uh, yeah, if you need anything else to follow up, please don't hesitate to, to get in touch.
Thanks to Andy and Gabe for talking with me. You can find links to purchase Freaked, its soundtrack, and Blind Idiot God's albums in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromandinspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromandinspiredpod. You can subscribe to us via iTunes as well. Blind Idiot God is on Facebook at Blind Idiot God Official and on the web at indivisiblemusic.com. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on iTunes. We'll be back next week with the official kickoff to Halloween, Talking the Lost Boys, with Gerard McMahon, a.k.a. G. Tom Mack. Until then, thanks for listening. It is good and Ah!